couple of things just real quick. Um, first, uh, if you're here for the first time today and didn't uh, realize that you needed to pick up one of these in the lobby, please feel free anytime during the sermon uh, to go back and get one of these. We are going to take communion together following the sermon, and we're still using these, and these are located just right out here in the front lobby. So please feel free to go out and grab one of those at any point. And then also um, about the picnic that we're going to have in August, I want to make sure that visitors know that that you're invited too. Uh, It's not just something that uh, we're inviting members here to. We, We want everyone who's been coming and uh, participating uh, to, to, to be able to enjoy that special time together in August. So please, everybody, circle that date on the calendar and plan to be a part of that. <clears throat> now, uh, the young people are, are going to have no idea what I'm talking about. But back in the day, I made mixtapes. <clears throat> you see, there used to be these little rectangular devices Uh, called cassette tapes, and you could record music onto them, um, and then you'd have to put them in a tape deck or into a Walkman in order to listen to the music. Now, uh, when I liked a girl, I would make her a mixtape and give it to her. Some people uh, would give flowers, others might buy chocolate. Still others will write a note, but nothing said, I like you, better than a Barrett Kaufman mixtape. Now, I I don't make mixtapes anymore, uh, but I still, I'll, I'll make little playlists on Spotify or iTunes, and uh, mainly I just listen to these uh, during my sermon preparation. And one of the playlists uh, that I listen to uh, has several songs on it from the band U2. And one of their songs that's on this playlist, I ended up just putting on repeat over and over again this week in my preparation. And it's a song titled One. You may be familiar with the song. It came out in 1991, actually during my freshman year in college. But uh, there's a line in the chorus that goes, we're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. And that's a great line. That's a powerful line about unity. In an interview that lead singer Bono had, he described the theme of that song, and he said, it's a song about coming together. But it's not the old hippie idea of let's all just come get along. It is, in fact, the opposite. It's saying we are one, but we are not the same. We're going to get along even when we don't want to get along. He went on to say the line, we get to carry each other, is a line that introduces grace into the song. And the wording get to instead of got to is essential as it suggests that it's a privilege to help one another. 
and not an obligation. So if you give what Bono is trying to say in his song one, then I think you will hear what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians chapter 4 to this new entity made up of Jewish and Gentile believers called the church. You are one, but you are not the same. So you get to carry each other. Paul is clearly asking the church here to be one. In fact, it's a word that he uses seven times in three verses. And in verse 1, he's not just asking them. He's pleading with them. He's urging them. He's begging them. So, so Paul's not just saying, hey, guys, uh, you know, in case you've forgotten, I am in prison because of this whole Jew and Gentile trying to come together thing that we're calling the church. And so, you know, could you do me a solid and just try to act like you enjoy being together? No, that's, that's, that's way too mild. Instead, he is imploring them to make every effort to be one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 is the text that we're going to study today and then next week as well. And it's one of the two classic texts in the New Testament on Christian unity, the other one being John chapter 17. In fact, while the theme of unity is implied in other letters of Paul, the actual word unity only occurs, take all of Paul's writings. He only uses the word unity twice, and they both occur in this text, in verse 3, and then also in verse 13. And so this is an important text on unity. And really, you know, what I've come to see as I've studied this letter is that the whole thing is about unity. All of it. Not just chapter 4. Unity is the theme of this letter. Now, I've pointed out to you kind of the natural structure of this letter, that the first three chapters are theological, the second three chapters are practical, but even to be more specific than that. In the first three chapters, Paul writes about what the church should believe about unity. And then in the second three chapters, Paul writes about how the church should behave in unity. But it's all about unity. Unity is the theme that runs throughout the entire letter, tying all of it together. So then, it should not come as a surprise that the second half of the letter contains more specific practical instruction and application for daily life than any other New Testament book. Compare it alongside any other book or letter in the New Testament. There's more practical daily living application to be made here than any other one. In Ephesians, 
the imperative verb is used 41 times. In other words, there are 41 specific commands in this letter. And only one of those commands is found in the first three chapters. The other 40 commands are found in the second half of this letter. Specific, practical commands. And this is precisely because this letter is about unity, and unity does not just happen accidentally. Unity does not occur naturally. It only exists in groups that have great purpose and intentionality. And like most things in life, unity is something that can only be fully known through experience. I had, I had read a couple of books about marriage before I got married. And so I had some knowledge about marriage. But I, but I really didn't know what I was getting myself into until I married my sweet Karen. You know, I I had read several books on parenting before we had kids. And so I had some knowledge about parenting, but I didn't really know what I was getting myself into until we had our four children. I had read many books on adoption before we adopted. And so I had some knowledge about adoption, but I really didn't know what I was getting myself into until William blessed our home. And we could continue down this path, right? Well, the same is true about unity. You could read and study and pray and meditate upon these first three chapters your whole life and know a whole lot about what the church believes about unity. But unity is something that can only be fully known through experience. You won't really know what you're getting yourself into until you make an effort to be one with another person. Look, it's so much easier to read about unity and study about it, go to Bible classes about it, hear sermons about it. It's easier to believe about unity than it is to behave in unity. Watchman Nee, who was an evangelist uh, in China, he wrote a uh, a bunch of great little books. Uh, I mentioned one several months ago. I want to mention another one today that I'm going to refer to uh, probably a couple times over these 12 studies here in the second half of Ephesians, but it's called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's, it's a classic book on Ephesians. It's only 60 pages. Uh, and it might even be out there now where you could download it for free. I don't know, but 
Uh, it's a wonderful little insightful uh, book on Ephesians. And here's a quote of his from that book. He says, too many Christians know all about chapters 1 through 3, but they do not put chapters 4 through 6 into practice. And so, let me encourage us here as we begin our study of the second half of this letter to put what we're going to learn into practice. You know, we've learned a lot about what the church believes about unity in these first three chapters. But as we begin chapter four, this this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This is where it gets real. You know, it reminds me, and I know all of you have read this or heard this, but it, it reminds me of the little prayer that you'll see on the internet every once in a while, but it goes like this. Dear Lord, so far I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. So far it's been a great day, but in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on I'm going to need a lot of help. Well, it's like that with unity. It sounds really good. We can gather around and study Ephesians 1 through 3 and all agree with it like we did last week by shouting out together, amen, in theory. But then we have to get out of bed and live it. And the question is here at the outset, the beginning of chapter 4, is does our behavior match our belief? Because this is exactly what Paul is getting at here in verse 1. It's it's what he's imploring them to do in verse 1. To live in such a way that their lives match their calling. Literally, in the, in the language there, it means to raise one side of the scale to match the other side of the scale. In other words, there's an imbalance. And Paul sees it. Their behavior is out of balance with their belief. Their conduct is out of balance with their calling. And he's not talking here about a calling into professional ministry. I know we can often use that that term to mean that, but that's not what Paul's getting at here. It's not a calling into professional ministry. It's a calling to relational unity. That's that's what they've been called to here. Unity is the calling of the church, and not just unity, but unity in Christ. And part of what the New Testament reveals to us time and time again 
is that this calling, the calling of Jewish and Gentile believers together into one body created a lot of tension. And this letter speaks directly into this tension. Paul's writing this letter to speak directly into the tension. As I've mentioned, uh, there are 40 commands in the second half of this letter that we'll touch on um, as we study through this. But in fact, in these six verses that we're looking at today, there's only one command. There's only one imperative here. Um, And it's the command, depending on your translation, um, it's the command to live, the command to lead a life. Um, It's the command to walk. Literally, that's what the word means is to walk. It's a word that that Paul uses um, throughout his letters, and he uses it uh, to mean the way you conduct yourself, not just literally to walk around, but kind of figuratively, it means how do you conduct yourself? It it means uh, the, the way that you behave. And so the one command in these first six verses is for their conduct to match their calling to unity. That's the context. It's for their behavior to match their belief about unity. If you study these first six verses, that's the context, that's the command. And so with that command, Paul then provides them with two things. He provides them with both the blueprint for unity, that's verses two and three, and then he provides them with the basis for unity, verses four through six. And so there's this wonderful command for their behavior to match their belief, for their conduct to match their calling. And then he provides them with both the blueprint for unity and the basis for unity. First, uh, let's spend a few moments looking at the blueprint. Here's Here's what Paul writes in verses two and three, the blueprint for unity. In order for their behavior in unity to match their belief about unity. They are to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how you behave in unity. This is the blueprint. If we believe that we've been called to unity, then this is how we are to behave. And so let's, let's look at this blueprint. I want to kind of break it down and, and look at it. There's so much here. First thing that he says Um, is that we are to behave with all humility and gentleness. Now, this really should make sense to us as followers of Christ. 
I mean, how can we expect unity to occur between two groups of people as diverse and as different as Jews and Gentiles without humility and gentleness? It's where unity has to begin. It's, it's unity 101. It starts with humility and gentleness. And don't forget the all. You'll see that in your text. It's, it's all humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness must pervade all. It must pervade everything. It must pervade our speech. It must pervade our thinking. It must pervade our hearts. It's got to pervade every aspect of our lives. Listen, it's not a coincidence that these are the same two words Jesus uses to describe his behavior in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. When he tells his disciples to learn from me, Learn from my behavior. Learn from my conduct, Jesus says. Learn from my way of life. And here's how he describes it. For I am gentle and humble in heart. There's our words. There's our words. You see, the heart of Christ is the start of unity. The start of unity is at the very heart of Christ. All humility and gentleness. Later on, as we continue the study in the second half, we're going to look at chapter 5. And uh, there, Paul's going to address unity between specific relationships. Like between parent and child and master and slave and husband and wife. And unity between these specific relationships must start at this same place, at the heart of Christ, with all humility and gentleness And there's so much more to say about that, but we have to move on. But this is where it begins. We'll we'll come back to this as we continue this study. But let's move on to the second part here. That's the start. It begins with a heart of humility and gentleness. Secondly, we are to behave with patience. With patience. One of the early church writers, I love how he defined patience. He defined it as having both a large and long soul. Your soul is large because you can deal with a large amount of difficulty. Because you can deal with a a large amount of annoyances. And it's long because you can do it over a long period of time. So it's a soul that's both large and long. 
And that's patience. <clears throat> As I share with you, we have a dog. Um, we, uh, we, we got our dog back in January. His name's Hero. And uh, he's not very patient. He's not very patient. When you open the front door, he wants to run out. When somebody new comes into the house, he wants to run up and jump on them. Um, And so he's having to learn patience. um, We've we've been training him in patience. He's he's learning the command to wait. That's the command. You say, wait. He stops everything. And then the marker word is okay, and that means he can move. So it's kind of like freeze tag almost. It's like, wait, whatever he's doing. Then when you say, okay, then he can continue on in his business. So we're training him in that. And um, one of the main ways that I've been training him in that is when, he, when it's time for him to eat, right? So I'll, I'll get him a little bowl of food and put it right there in front of him and then say, wait. <laughs> he's getting pretty good. Um, just this morning, Wait, and he sit there, and he he sit there for a minute, and then he gets, starts getting real excited, you know, and that tongue comes out, and even this morning there was this huge thing of drool, <laughs> just came down, and then okay, and then blah, and then he's just like all over it, right? But he's having to learn how to wait. He's having to learn how to wait, and like Hero, our souls need to be made larger and longer. So we're to behave with patience. We're to bear with one another in love. You know, in today's language, uh, I would say, because bear with one another, I, 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 I would say we're to put up with each other in love. And interestingly, the the word there in the Greek, it carries with it a sense of restraint. So we're to restrain ourselves from responding to one another in certain ways. And I think it's important that Paul gives the motivation behind me putting up with someone else. I don't just put up with you because Jesus tells me to or because it's what I'm supposed to do. If that were my motivation, it'd be more difficult, if not impossible, to restrain my frustration, to restrain my anger, to restrain maybe even my resentment for having to put up with you. But we put up with each other in love. And, and it's, it's agape love. Agape love is the motivation. So it's the kind of love that seeks the highest good in the other person. And so I put up with you not because I'm seeking to be good, but because I'm seeking the highest good for you. Years ago, uh, Karen and I were doing marriage counseling with a couple, and we asked the couple to tell us one characteristic that they liked about the other, and we'll often will do that uh, in those situations. And um, 
the characteristic the husband said he liked most about his wife is that she puts up with me. Now, in that context, I wasn't sure if that was a good thing to say or not, but according to Paul, unity does not happen between two people without it. Without the ability to put up with someone else in love, seeking the highest good of that other person. Lastly, he says here, we're to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The ESV reads, we are to be eager to do it. It means we are to continuously and diligently and passionately put forth effort. As I've said, unity does not happen by accident. Unity does not happen magically. As my dad used to to say, it takes a little elbow grease. It takes hard work. It takes great effort. We have to fight to keep it. We have to struggle to maintain it. This word that's translated maintain or keep was a word used to describe putting a troop of soldiers around the city in order to guard it. So together, we must guard our unity. We must maintain it. We must protect it. And I love how Paul describes it here uh, as the unity of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity. In fact, one could make the case that the very reason that the primary reason the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was to bring unity to such a diverse group of people. Luke writes in Acts 2 that there were men and women from every nation under heaven present there in Jerusalem. That's a diverse group, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that group to make them one. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. Do you hear that? Do you get that? Do you know the spirit in that way? Where the spirit is present, there will be unity. That's how we know if the Holy Spirit's present. Where the Spirit is, we will find unity. That's a fact. The fruit of the Spirit are all characteristics that promote unity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are all characteristics that promote unity. So the presence of the Holy Spirit brings unity, creates unity, and then we are to make every effort to maintain it, to guard it, to protect it. That is the blueprint for unity. 
Now, allow me uh, in these last few minutes to conclude with the basis for our unity. So verses 2 and 3, that's the blueprint for our unity. Here you go. This, the 2 through 3. If you want to create, if you want to maintain, keep, guard, protect, unity in Christ, verses 2 through 3, there's your blueprint. Now the basis for our unity, verses 4 through 6. And these uh, three verses, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the word one uh, and there's a sevenfold mention, kind of this complete whole. That seven is an important number. So there's kind of this complete wholeness, this complete oneness that's found here. And the basis for this kind of complete wholeness and oneness, this basis for our unity is the Trinity. The basis for our unity is the Trinity. Christian unity is important because we're made in the image of a triune God. The unity of our God is the basis for the unity of the church. The basis for our unity comes from having a triune God who is one. In verse 4, from the one spirit comes the one body. And, 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 and that's exactly what we've been talking about with this spirit of unity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. Where the Holy Spirit, where the one Holy Spirit is present, there will be one body. Verse 5, from the one Lord comes one faith, comes one hope comes one baptism. Our, our, our one Lord, Jesus Christ, is the object of all of those. Our faith is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our baptism is into Christ, our Lord. And so from the one Lord comes one faith and one hope and one baptism. And then verse 6, from the one Father comes the one family. Our God, who is three in one, calls us to be a church who are many in one, Jew and Gentile, women and men, black and white, young and old. The Trinity is the basis for our unity. We make every effort to protect our unity because God has made every effort to produce our unity. That's the basis. He's made every effort to produce our unity, so we make every effort to protect it. The Holy Spirit has indwelled us with a spirit of unity to call us to unity, to empower us, to be able to do immeasurably more then we can accomplish in our own strength. The Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us. He has made two groups into one by, by breaking down, dividing walls of hostility between us through the cross. 
The Father has adopted us into his one family, calling us his sons and his daughters. Therefore, we make every effort to keep this unity. Church Paul has given us both a blueprint and a basis for our unity. May we be a people whose behavior in unity matches our belief about unity. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this calling that we have received as your church. We're thankful for the effort that you have gone through to produce unity. May we be a people who make every effort to protect it, to keep it. Lord, empower us in that work. Lord, may our unity shine like a light in this community. In a culture, in a world of division and divisiveness, may this little beacon right here at the corner of Nicholasville and Dantzler shine like the stars in the universe. I pray this for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and sing with one another.